My name is Humble Gray, and I am a Mississippi farmer. I was out on Duck's Crevasse last Saturday fishing with my best friend Davis McClyde, a stalwart of the Southern Convention. It's a chance for a farmer like me to taste the forbidden fruit of laziness, just sitting in the rowboat and sipping homemade while paying little attention to my line in the water. How you think the bulldog's going to do this year, says I. It was apropos of nothing, but just the sort of conversation one engages in on a fishing day. Depends on that Mr. Leach, says Davis, but I think they could take the conference. Yes, says I, but old Mike better work some of that Texas Tech magic, especially after last season. Then I yawned, because I was feeling just that lazy. At least till something jumped from the water, flashed in the air, and bounced off my forehead before splashing back into the lake. What in heck was that, says I. Oh, that's a silver carp, says Davis. It's what you call invasive species. A silver carp, says I. Well, why is it attacking me? I don't know, says Davis, but they'll do that. Jump out of the water and hit you, usually because they're startled by motorboats. But well, we ain't got no motor, says I. Yeah, says Davis, it's a mystery. Suddenly another of those fish leapt from the water, smacked him right across the face, and landed in the boat. Then a third flew out and knocked me in the ear, and a fourth one emerged and slapped Davis across the top of the head. Finally, a whole school of the things were jumping around us, beating us about the face and shoulders. Have they been incensed, says I, by our intention to eat their brethren? No, they're not hitting us on purpose, says Davis, batting the air in self-defense. That's just a sequel to their jumping. Well, on purpose or not, says I, fending them off with a paddle. They're doing it. And that means we'd better row out of here. And so we did just that, leaving the silver carp to jump and caper to their heart's content. An invasive species, you say? Yes, says Davis, but good eating if they don't knock you into the water and drown you. He was right about that, too, because we fried up four that had landed in our boat. And ladies and gentlemen, if they were awfully hard won, then they were still mighty tasty. Which brings me to today's movie review. I said today's movie review about another invasive species encountered in the picture A Quiet Place, Part 2. That's a sequel to that film about folks fighting deadly critters what can't see. Can't see, but can hear you super well and will sweep you away and kill you if you make any noise. Long-limbed gruesomes with faces that open up. You never glean from the first movie where they came from and why. Now this new film, this part two, it starts by taking us back a mite in a what you call flashback to the creature's first attack when the sights and sounds of everyday life filled the little town where the first movie began. The Abbott family, who we followed in the initial story, is watching a little league game and is not what they ask when their son can't hit the ball. No, they're too distracted by a sudden fire blazing across the sky, a phenomenon that portends disaster and foments confusion. Only moments later do the monsters start ravaging the townspeople, sowing panic and death throughout the streets. We then pick up just after the events of that first picture with what's left of the family, Mother Evelyn, son Marcus, daughter Regan, and a new baby. They've reached the point where they have to flee the farmhouse where the villainous varmints laid waste to their existence. Fleeing being a relative term, of course, for they must step slowly and quietly over the earth, lest they reveal themselves to the invaders. 
They presently come to an abandoned steel foundry where a friend from town, Emmett, has taken refuge. An embittered survivor who lost his wife and child, he refuses them shelter, allowing them but a single night's rest. This in deference to the leg wound Marcus has suffered from the steel jaws of an animal trap. Emmett's angry and uncaring existence, however, is thrown into a cocked hat when he must go after runaway Regan. You will call from the first movie that the girl is quite deaf and that the harsh feedback from her hearing aid repels the sound-sensitive monsters. Determining that there is a working radio station not too far away, she resolves to find it and vanquish the critters by broadcasting the noise over the airwaves. So the brave gal runs off, and at her mother's behest, Emmett follows in pursuit. I won't tell you what happens. I do. I simply do not wish to discommode my audience with spoilers. But if you're hoping for my intelligent opinion... Most people had finally given up hope. Well, if you're hoping for an opinion, here's what I think about the film. A bomb? No. Okay. No, again. I happen to think it's very good to excellent, and I give it three and a half bales of hay out of four. I mean, maybe the novelty of the original idea has worn off some, but even so, director John Krasinski has retained his knack for squeezing the utmost anxiety from slow-building action and maximum height from a jump scare. In fact, in the midst of one battle, I even mouthed the words, and I never do that, no matter the on-screen hijinks. The actors, meanwhile, are universally fine. Emily Blunt, Krasinski's real-life spouse, once again evokes a mother whose ice-cold fear is eclipsed only by a steely determination to protect her brood. In fact, you'd think after the intensity of this performance, Ms. Blunt would be looking for the exit door to light comedy. Just keep your eyes peeled. Meanwhile, I'll praise Millicent Simmons as Regan. Then I'll tell you why. She grows in maturity across the two movies, convincingly evolving from child to would-be savior, and all with barely a word said. Killian Murphy as Emmett is another standout. Horror fans may recall that this Irish actor previously battled monsters in the film 28 Days Later. Now playing a broken man with a threatening presence, we see the rough-hewn hero emerge as Emmett develops a new commitment to life. Hats off as well to Jimin Hounsou, who brings a note of warmth to his brief time on screen. And as for me, I'm mighty glad there's no hungry monsters out there attracted by sound, because I'm told I snore like a freight train, and I don't cotton to being taken in my sleep. Please. That's very hurtful, ma'am. Yes, sir. Next week, I'll be reviewing the film In the Heights, a musical set in that cauldron of iniquity, New York City. Play me out, Zeke. <laughs>